Thank you for being with us today. We would love to have you join us in person. To partner with us or to give online, go to www.upperroomohio.com. We hope you enjoy this message. So we're launching a series today. And uh, on my way home last night from... Uh, from the father-daughter dance, I was like, all right, and the kids were excited, we're like, we think this was the best one yet, this was awesome, I think it was their, our third one here, and uh, we partner with Joyful Souls, Heather's dance studio, and we do this father-daughter dance, and the proceeds benefit the young girls there to be able to buy their dresses for their uh, annual show, so anyway, it was fun, so on the way home, they're like, what's next year's theme going to be, like Nicole said, this year was the sock hop. And it was cool. It was so easy on the guys, though. Like every guy rolled up jeans, some Converse or Vans or something, white T-shirts. I was like, yep, and a jacket if you had it. So, but the girls are like, what, what theme will it be next year? And I think it was Olivia. She's like, hopefully it's 80s, and we can have poofy hair and scrunchies in, and this is, that'll be fun. And then Chloe goes, I hope it's the 90s so we can wear flannels and baggy clothes. I was like, wait, 90s? What? They're thinking back to the 90s as like a historical time we should have the dance. So right now I just made every person in here feel just a little older. <laughs> that our kids are like, man, back in the 90s. I'm like, ugh. So anyway, we're launching a, a series. It's a short series, only a month this, this week, uh, called Kindness Counts. And we're basing it off of Romans 2.4. And uh, we're going to talk about the kindness of God in our story next week. Nicole and I, every year around Valentine's Day, we get up here with chairs and we just share. And then we do open Q&A. So come with some good questions next week uh, about our story and about our year. And we'll share a little bit of that and then allow you to ask questions. Um, and then Steve Bowen, the week after that, is going to obviously do his thing and do his thing well. Uh, but anyway, this week, I want to just read Romans 2.4. We'll start there. Thanks to Kaylee Jones with the awesome graphic. We get to enjoy that lit up. It says this, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Now, another version often says, Don't you know that it's the, you know, like if we're in Minnesota or something, Don't you know that it's the kindness or the goodness of God that, to lead men to repentance. It's the goodness, it's the kindness of God that lead men to repentance. And I don't know about you, but that's been way more effective in my life. Even ministering to people, it's the love of God that reaches the heart. The rules in the, in the Bible and different things that, that we have falsely interpreted might reach the mind. But all of a sudden, when they have an encounter and they realize that it's not just a good book, but it's the living word of God. When they realize that he's not just a judge, but he's the loving father and a kind friend and a savior and a creator, all of a sudden it's the kindness of God, it's the goodness of God that lead men to a transformed life to actually live for him. Repentance means to not only ask and say sorry for something, but turn away from it. True repentance isn't just saying I'm sorry. True repentance is turning about and away from something. So kindness of God, it's the heart of God, it's the goodness of God, it's the encounter with who he really is that actually leads me to a relationship with him that makes me turn away from the wicked ways in which I once was. That's kind of what that's saying. It's saying, listen, when I truly meet the Messiah, 
The Bible sometimes says, like, oftentimes people have mistaken or they, they've missed who Jesus is. They've seen Jesus walk on by, and he's a good teacher, a good prophet. But when we really know that Jesus is the Messiah, when we really experience and know and encounter and meet him and invite him into our hearts, and we have that true experience of a born-again life, all of a sudden now it's his kindness, his goodness, his power, his nurturing nature, his, 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 his awesomeness. I don't know what other adjectives I can use right now. Anything that's good, you can just fill in that blank. And that leads me to live a life that's pleasing to the Father because my heart has turned towards him and I no longer want to live the way I used to live. It's the kindness of God. Sometimes that happens through various ways. Sometimes, let me just, let me just tell you this. It is not natural to be kind. <laughs> it's not. It is not within our nature when we're born to have a nature of kindness. Let me, let me just be real with you. We were born into sin. We were born into a selfish nature. All right? We were not born into a selfless nature. We rely on our parents for everything when we're born. Clean our diaper, feed us, put us in our bed, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Listen, my kids didn't, didn't, weren't born wiping their own butts. I had to take care of that. Often Nicole, sometimes me. But listen, like we weren't born that. We were born into this world actually relying on everybody else to take care of our needs and take care of us. So therefore, we have to grow out of that and we have to mature to actually become selfless from being selfish. And it's a thing of maturity. Like we can't always just be sons and daughters. Eventually, we have to mature up to be fathers and mothers. Like we have to turn away from who we used to be and focus now on others. Let, let me put it to you this way. The 12th step in almost any 12-step recovery program, the 12th step is always now using your story to help somebody else. It's always now taking my energy to help somebody else not go down the same path or help them come out or pour out into somebody else. That's always a 12th step. I believe there is a key to freedom in my own walk, in my own journey by helping others. Steve, Steve Bowen often, often preaches, he's like, you're not just saved from something, you're also saved to something. Ephesians 2, that we're created for good works, we're created for good deeds. We're not just, it's not just pulling us up and we're saved from addiction or saved from depression or saved from an eternity in hell. We're now saved for something, we're saved to something. We're not just saved from a broken marriage, now we're saved to healing other marriages, now we get to be kind in that. So, so there's all this thing of kindness, and, and how many know that it's even one of the fruits of the Spirit? Galatians 5.22, the fruits of the Spirit are what? One of them? Kindness. 1 Corinthians 13.4, Paul's defining love is. Love is patient, and love is what? Kind. Kind. It's the love. God is love, and love is, one of the things is Kind. So how do we demonstrate kindness to those around us? How do we demonstrate the nature of God? How do we demonstrate this avenue of love to everybody around us in, in our everyday walk? How about we start with a smile? How about we start with waving at somebody? How about we start by opening a door? Like oftentimes you'll find that those things introduce a conversation that can lead to something else. How about we just, just love well? How about we just value the server who's bringing our food to our table? Last night, a few of us dads got together before we went to the father-daughter dance, and after the server was done, he's giving us a bill. So I said, thank you so much for the wonderful service. It was amazing. You're awesome. Thank you. It's not often that servers get treated with dignity and respect. They say 60% or more of people that even go out to dinner won't even look up and make eye contact with a server. Why? Because you think they're there to serve you and be a slave to you. So what's kindness look like in your generosity of a tip, in your generosity of giving your time and asking how their day is? 
And I'm not just talking at a restaurant. I'm talking about at Kroger. I'm talking about the person at break with you. I'm talking about that patient who you're serving or that kid in the classroom that looks like he's just having an off day. Like, it's the kindness of God. And, 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 and there's other ways, too. We do the turkey dinners. We do love explosions. What does it look like to love your neighbor as yourself? What does it look like to love your street, love your neighborhood, love your cul-de-sac? What does it look like to love your kids and your grandkids? Heidi Baker says this. He says, she says, if you want to save the world, if you want to save the entire universe, if you want to change the world, love the one in front of you. That's it. Just love the one in front of you. That changes the entire world. Let's go into scripture here. Galatians 6.10 says this. It says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Now, listen, I want to focus on that. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to who? All people. Not just the rich, not just the poor, not just the ones that we know need help. There's a, there's a family that goes here, and, and they're very successful now, and they're amazing. And, and they shared this story with me a couple weeks ago. She comes up to me, and, and at that time, Josh and Angie Haas were, were their neighbors. They lived down the road or in the same community. And Angie, the Lord told Angie just to drop groceries off at their door. Now, they're successful now, but they said, at that time, we actually didn't know where our next meal was coming from. We were in a rough place, and, and we didn't know how to get out of it, and, and we were using and trying to do everything we could. And at that moment, I was praying to God where our me- next meal was coming from so we could provide for, for our family and our kids. And all of a sudden, Angie knocks on our door and delivers grocery from hearing a small voice of the Lord. Not knowing they were in need, not knowing that was the circumstance, but simply just hearing this little hint, this little nudge. How many of you have you've, you've been to McDonald's or you've been somewhere and you're like, you leave and you're like, oh, man, I should have asked them this or I should have said this. Anybody ever have those little regrets? You know what that is? That's creating an opportunity now for you not to have that same regret the next time. It's not to feel guilty about it. It's not to carry shame in it. It's like, oh, bummer, I missed that one. I'm going to do it next time. That's what that is. So all of a sudden, you begin to have this conviction. You begin to have this lifestyle to say, you know what? I'm going to reach people just by asking how they are. I'm going to reach people just telling them that they're amazing and God loves them. I'm going to reach people just to saying, do you need prayer for anything? Like kindness comes in all these elements. I love what Steve said on the video. All evangelism is good evangelism. You may all have a special sauce. You each have your own individual way. You might do this. You have your thing. Like you have your thing. We were talking about what's the best discipleship. Is it through Bible study or is it relational discipleship? Guess what good discipleship is? All discipleship. Whatever you're doing to grow others, whatever you're doing, same thing with evangelism or what we want to call right now kindness. Whatever you do to better somebody's life in that moment for that day is kindness evangelism. It could be a water bottle on a hot day. It could be a Hershey kiss. It could be a a, a thing of, of, of chocolates at the break room that you just bring in. And you simply put a heart on it, or Jesus loves you, or something, anything. You don't have to put nothing. I don't care. It's like the kindness of God. All of a sudden, what's going to happen is people are going to want who's inside of you. What's inside of you? What creates this? Brad, who's playing guitar player, he shared a story. He's like, God just told him to bring pizza one day to, to everybody in the break room at work. All of a sudden, these things started to unfold. It changed the atmosphere and the climate of the entire day just by buying a few pizzas for the employees that day. That's kindness. Why? Because something has stirred in some of us that makes us want to do something else for someone else. Let me, let me move on here. The parable of the Good Samaritan. I love this story. Everybody say, you can do it. I think I can do the rest of this in 19 minutes. 
Say, so you can do it. All right. Okay, on one occasion, an expert, Luke 10, 25, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. I love these stories. I love it when the Pharisees and the Sadducees try to pin Jesus. Okay, what's the greatest answer? What's the greatest thing? When I was in sales, I went to Zig Ziglar trainings. Anybody ever heard of Zig Ziglar? If you're in sales or business, you know Zig Ziglar. You would have training sessions and exercises of who could ask the most questions. So how much is the product? How much would you be willing to pay for the product? What do you think its value is? And you're doing these, these exchange of question with the question. How many know that Jesus invented that? What's the greatest of these? What do you feel the greatest of these should be? Like, he, he's awesome at this. So it's funny to me because I was like that kid and that, that young person before I knew Christ to try to challenge everything because I knew the word. Like, I knew the Bible. I knew the word of God. I just didn't know the God of the word. So I would challenge people and argue and just set them up for failure because I knew it. And I could, I could kind of work around him like, yeah, what about this? Okay, it says be still and know God. What about when it says go? What do you do now? Yeah, just because the Bible says so. Well, the Bible doesn't say so to a non-believer. I'm on a rabbit show right now. This is the infallible, true, living word of God. But to a non-believer, it's a book. And until you meet Jesus and until you know the God of the word, it is just a book. Okay, and we're dealing with millennials in a culture that's actually making the word more diminished than it's ever been before in our culture. We have to make it relevant by introducing them to the author. Kindness is an avenue to do that, to let them meet Jesus, to let them meet the Lord and the host of hosts and the Lord of lords and the King of kings. Then all of a sudden it jumps out and it ministers to my heart. Why? Because I know the man who wrote it. Let me carry on here. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Here's what Jesus' response was. What? It is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? (laughs) He answered, love the Lord God with all your heart and with all of your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. That's a good word. Now, I want to confront something with self-help and some of these things that are trending right now. We can go so far that we're only worried about ourselves. It's time that we graduate and we upgrade from worrying about ourselves to now getting to worry about others because of Christ's freedom in our life. Freely I receive, freely I get to give. I've received forgiveness, now I can give and forgive others. I've received the love of God, now I can, I can be a demonstrator of God's love and give that to others. I've, I've received healing from God, now God's calling me to lay hands on the sick and they'll recover and bring them healing through Jesus. The Bible doesn't say let the deacons and the elders and the preachers and the pastors and the bishops lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. Mark 15 says let the believers lay hands on the sick and what? They'll recover. That's us. That's all of us. So love the Lord God with everything you have, then love your neighbor as yourself. So here's the thing. You can only love to the point of which you've loved yourself. I can't give something I don't have. I've been given freedom in Christ, so now I can lead others to that freedom. So I have to love myself in the way of I have to care for myself. I have to be intentional with my time with the Lord. I have to worship. I have to have revelation of the Father on a daily basis. I need to go deep with him so that I can lead others to that depth. But it's not in this this self-care, self-help. It's in this way that, okay, I'm first. It's just like on the mask on the airplane. I got to take care of myself. That mask drops on you. You're instructed to put it on yourself before putting it on anybody around you, right? Because you're no help if you're not loving yourself. 
You're no help if you're not experiencing Jesus in the way you want to give it. You can't give something you don't have. So love your neighbor as yourself. So it's loving well, being loved well, understanding I'm a child of God. Now I can lead others out of the orphanage and into the loving arms of a good father. Let's, let's go here. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, Jesus, here's the story. His reply was, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. Now, listen, kindness and love doesn't have to come from the man that you would most expect it. Because sometimes that's who, you, that's who least often does it. They're sometimes callous. You know, I, I just believe in this thing that we treat everybody. When somebody calls the church, like we go after each one. We've got an electrical problem. We need to pay for our bill. We need this. Okay, well, let's call them. Let's find out the need. Let's find out what we, way we can help. Let's see if this is real. Let's see if they've gotten other help elsewhere. Like each one. I am not held accountable to there not being a need. I'm held accountable whether or not I try to meet it. Let, let, me, let me make this real. I'm not held accountable to the money that I give the person begging on the side of the street at the streetlight. I'm held accountable whether or not it tugged in my heart enough to actually try to want to. My daughters, we, one of the things we love to do when we go to Chicago or the bigger cities, we go to Indianapolis... We love to buy an extra meal every time we go to breakfast or a meal, and then we let them, or leftovers, or most often we like to buy a meal, and then we like to give that to a homeless person. And we let the girls choose who they want to give that to, and then we pray for that person. Listen, it's just one person at a time, but we each reach one person at a time. It's only less than a decade the entire universe is saved. I'm not held accountable to the beggar whether or not his sign is real or if he's walking down the bank and going and getting into a Lincoln. I'm not held accountable to that. I've seen that. I've seen that happen in Troy. They go down, they're begging at the interstate, and they walk around before the fence was there at Goodwill, and they pull in a really luxurious car and drive off because they're making more money in a day tax-free than I am working at the fire department. But guess what? I'm not held accountable to that. I'm held accountable did I entertain strangers in an effort that I might actually be entertaining angels. I'm not held accountable whether or not the need is there. I'm held accountable was I there to meet a need. We... We had, a, we had a friend going through something lately. And we as a church, we're in excess right now. We know some ministries who are in lack. So I just brought it to the board and the leadership's attention this week. And I just had this conviction. Listen, if we're in excess for what the Lord's calling us to do, and we don't meet a need of somebody who's in lack, I feel we're sinning. If I have excess and somebody's in need, I'm obligated through the kindness and the goodness and the love of God to actually try to meet that need to the best of my ability when the opportunity presents. We're not held accountable to what the need was and if it was actually real or if they were lying about it. That's not my area. Let me, let me carry on or this 19 minutes is not going to happen. But it says this, a priest happened to go by. So to a Levite, so it wasn't the, the person that's meant to help people. It wasn't the wealthy person, a Levite, who stopped to help. He says, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, an average person, somebody who's looked down on when this was written in the Jewish culture. The Pharisees are being messed with big time right now. Jesus is saying it wasn't the priest. It wasn't a Pharisee. It wasn't the Levite who you look up to. It was actually a Samaritan that stopped and helped him. And then it goes on to say that he poured oil and wine in his wound. 
He left him and transported him and hauled him a very long distance is what it's building up here to leave him at a hotel or an inn where he could be further cared for. And he gave him denarii, he gave the innkeeper denarii money. And he said, listen, I'm coming back. I got to go take care of some stuff. But when I come back, whatever he needed and whatever expense you paid, I'm going to pay for it and I'll reimburse you. Listen, he went above and beyond just the average person to, to reach this man with kindness who he didn't know, who a priest walked by, who a wealthy man walked by, and now it was the average lowly looked down upon people group that actually reached out to this guy. And Jesus is messing with these people. He's like, anybody can do this. Let's move on. The golden rule, I try to teach this to the girls. It says, so in everything, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. For this, I want to focus on this, sums up the law of the prophets. This is the summary. Love well. Do unto others as you'd want them to do, do to you. Let's, let's move on here. The woman at the well. John 4, 1 through 12. You can read this on your own for the sake of time. This is this, is this cool story, and, and I just I need to paraphrase a lot of it. This is at the deep well of Jacob. Imagine the history of this well, the history where Joshua made some vows, the history where Jacob was, the history where there was a, a predominant death. Like, this is the deep well of Jacob, and now Jesus is using this as a way to walk 18 miles out of his way to intentionally meet this woman. Nothing Jesus did was an accident. Nothing Jesus did was by mistake. Jesus was, was in this place, and this woman came who was not ever supposed to be at a well alone and who was looked down upon, who was a prostitute married several times. Her as a Samaritan alone would create the cultural difference that he wasn't even supposed to talk to her as a Jew. So here's this woman at the well who was unclean, who wasn't supposed to be there alone. Jesus went 18 miles out of his way to be there. The disciples are in town, and he's having this deep conversation about the living waters and drawing from the deep well of Jacob. And he said, if you drew from my well, you'd never be thirsty again. And then all of a sudden, he's, he's, he's saying, will you get me a cup of water? And he says, now this happens. He says, now go tell your husband. And she says, now this, this is the part that intrigues me, and I don't understand it, to be honest with you. He knew how many times she had been married because after this sentence, he says, yeah, you've been married this many times. You're from this area. I knew this. I think he's challenging her to see if she's going to be pure and actually have a heart of gratitude and integrity and purity with him and see if he actually, actually had the revelation that he's Messiah. That's just my own take because he says, go tell your husband. She says, I'm not married. He's like, yeah, I know. The guy you live with and your previous five husbands. He knew this. Here's the point of the story. It was, it was this thing that, two things that I draw from this, from the deep well of Jacob. Two things. First off, that your steps are numbered. Your steps are guided. You didn't go there by accident. This woman just didn't show up by accident. Your days are mapped out. Your weeks are mapped out. He is guiding your path. He's a lamp and a light into your feet and your path. And the people that you're putting contact with today, the people that, that you have face-to-face -face or phone calls or social media interactions with are the people that you're called to steward and that you're called to show the goodness of God to. Jesus knew this. He shows up there. This woman's there. And then all of a sudden what happens is he shows her her value and her worth. That's what the story's about. This was an unclean woman who shouldn't be at a well alone, who's meeting with the Messiah, who he's asking to serve him. Listen, that is a place of humility and honor when you get to serve water to a man in that culture, especially if it's the Messiah. 
He's saying you're not an unclean woman. You're not a prostitute. You're not this divorced woman. You are a woman who's after my heart. You're a daughter. You're a person of value. You're a person of worth. Listen, the people that we need to minister to, the people that we need to, that we need to just love on, the people that we need to just, just take a moment with are the people right in front of us, and we need to reveal them to their worth and their value and their plans and God's love for them. Let me, let me move on here. Matthew 9, the compassion of Jesus, 35 and 38. Here's what happens. Okay? I, I need to read it for the sake of the next points. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among all the people. He's meeting all of their needs. He's meeting their natural, their physical, and their spiritual needs. And then it says, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep not having a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plenty, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray for the Lord of the harvest and send out laborers into his harvest. Listen, here's the thing. It's this great story that when Jesus saw these multitudes in need, when he saw, he wasn't just going to stop there and feel bad about it. He was going to do something about it. The last couple of weeks, there's something that's drawn my eye. Every time I drive by at a certain time of day, and, and it's just happened the last few times over and over, I drive by the hotels near 55 and, and Dorset there. And I drive by those hotels where we go there often for violence. We go there often for drug overdoses. We go there often for, for bad things happening. It's a high level of prostitution there and all these things. And guess what I've been seeing every time I drive by there? A regular school bus stop in the parking lots picking up oodles of kids in both parking lots every day. Listen, so here's what's happening. It's, it's this thing that where it's not just grabbing my attention, I feel bad about it. No, I meet with Steve Bowen, and I'm figuring out what do we need to do about this? What can we do to give every child a home? What can we do to give a child a living room and a kitchen or a washer and a dryer that they have clean clothes to wear to school? Or food or nutrition, like what's happening here? What are these young kids being exposed to by their moms or dads or what their moms are doing in the hotel room in the root in the bed right next to them? Like what's happening here? So we're scheduling some things to meet with the school counselors or trying to figure out ways. And I'm like, well, there's a fire code against it. We could try to create some havoc and make a move every 17 days. Well, is that going to just make them homeless and make the problem bigger? Like, how do we really do this? Jesus saw the multitudes and he was moved and he was compelled to actually do something about it. Whatever grabs your eye, whatever grabs your attention, whatever grabs this, this need or this thing, whatever it is, if it's that person that's begging or trying to sell flowers on the side of the street, if it's that person that you just had this hunch that something might be off, just checking on them, seeing how they are. Like whatever grabs your attention, sympathy makes you feel bad, but compassion compels you to do something about it. The word compassion there came from the text saying he began to weep and was moved to the point to do something about it. Matthew 25, he's going through this whole thing, and, and I just, I love this. I love it. There's a place in one of the stories, I don't know if we're, yeah, we're not there yet, good. Matthew 25, I'm just going to skip down to verse 35 and read a few there. It says, for I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you, 
or thirsty and give you something to drink. Verse 38, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing. When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king says this. He says, I will tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, you were doing it unto me. Man, you never know when you're meeting the need to lead people to Jesus. You never know when you're like these, everybody around us are sons and daughters of Christ. They just may not know it yet. These cultural issues, they're not problems. These people we disagree with, they're not problems. They're promises. They just don't realize it yet. The issue is not the problem. The darkness isn't the problem. It's a lack of light that's the problem. I, I want to repeat that. The darkness isn't the problem. We can't be afraid of the darkness. Light outshines darkness every time. The issue is not a lack of d- darkness. The issue is the lack of light. The issue isn't the darkness. Let me close with this story. The band or somebody can come. Ruth and Naomi, it's a story in the Bible, and we're going to be in Ruth 2, 8 through 10, just, just briefly here. Ruth and Naomi, Naomi had two daughter-in-laws. The sons had died at war. One of the daughter-in-laws went back to be with her own family, and, and Ruth says, where you go, I'll go. I'm going to stay with you. So Ruth decided to stay with Naomi, and they were, at a really, they were facing hardship. They actually didn't know where their next meals were coming from. And they actually didn't know, like, where food was going to come from. So they start uh, scavenging. Ruth starts to go out into the, the fields, the, the land, to look for leftover harvest or just see what's out there. And it's amazing that we're coming into this harvest season, but without us, we're, we're going to lose a generation if we don't continue to plant seed and water seed while we begin to harvest. There's been all these prophecies and all this light shine on this harvest season, but the reality is we can lose another generation if we only focus on the harvest and we forget about the seed and the sower. L- listen, let me, let me, let me just re- revisit something that Steve Bowen talked about a year or two ago. He talked about the shepherding movement. And in the shepherding movement a couple decades ago, what was happening is the church and many denominations were so focused on the end times and the rapture, they were losing their influence in media. They were losing their influence in business industry. They were losing their influence in the next generation. If we get so focused on the harvest and the rapture and we get so focused on the end times, we lose sight of continual sowing and continual raising up people and raising up leaders and children that are to meet a destiny and be influencers in their culture. So now, the effects that we're feeling now are actually because a generation missed the mark on sowing. I'm just going to be really real. I'm not attacking anybody. I'm not trying to cast blame. I'm saying media and culture and government and legislation is moving in the direction it's moving, and these decisions are being made by a generation that was unreached because the church was sitting idle in their buildings waiting for God to return. God is saying, like, we're, we, we, there is a season where we say, Come, Jesus, come, come, Jesus, come, come, take us away from this miserable wor- world. When God himself was saying, I've already came, go people, go. Like I understand it's a harvest season. I understand it's a reaping season. But in every season, it's also a sowing season. In every season, there's also a watering season. And who brings the increase in the harvest anyway? Lord, it's biblical. Our job is not to worry about, about who's reaping and who's harvesting. Our job is to sow seed where God's called us to be at that moment in time with that person, with that industry, with that influence. That's our role. So we get to this story. And it says in verse 8. It says this. So Boaz said to Ruth. Sorry. 
So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. I just, I need to share one more story. And I think we're done after that. I'll close with this. Matt, he was moved with compassion. My, My brother's the fire chief of Troy. He was moved with compassion when he saw the epidemic with the heroin stuff and started to be informed and educated. So I was part of a team that he launched to start a thing called the QRT, the Quick Response Team. And we go out every Wednesday and we do a home visit face-to-face with anybody who overdosed the week before. I think it's around two to three years now in existence. And I'll never forget, we were trying to chase this one lady around. We couldn't find her. She was moving homes. She was selling her body for drugs and, and, and utilizing her body to get drugs. And, 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 and finally, after five weeks of her on our list and overdosing multiple times, we finally thought we knew where she was. And we go there and we knock on the door and they actually answered. And this, this girl, like her parents, one of them was a doctor and she came from this high influential, high flutant family. And, She's this beautiful woman, beautiful eyes. And she had all this acne and scars on her face and scars on her arms. And my job in that role was to represent the fire department and also the faith-based community in conjunction as a bridge to get them into the church as well as rehab and help. And so I just began to quote scriptures to her without referencing the scripture, but I began to tell her how much God loved her. And I just began to say, you are so beautiful. It's like, you, you know your value. Do you know your worth? You are so valuable. And do you know there's plans for you, plans to prosper you? Do you know there's plans and a future for you, a hope? And she's not wanting to come with us. And she is either going to come with us or potentially die. Like, that's where we are with this girl. And we know she's on the track of death. And, and we just said, listen, you can, there's plans for you. And I began to just, just call forth. I was like, you know, God thinks you're amazing and beautiful and he loves you. And your family, they love you, they miss you. And I just begin to call forth her destiny. I begin to show the kindness of God to her through prophetic and encouraging words. She begins to just start crying. She says, you know, it's been at least 11 years, or I can't even remember the last time anybody ever told me I was beautiful. It broke my heart. I love it when I get to a scripture, and the leader, the story, Jesus or whatever, is calling somebody forth by their identity. The woman with the issue of blood to Jesus wasn't a woman with the issue of blood. It wasn't a woman caught in a constant menstrual cycle for 12 years. It was, daughter, your faith has made you well. The boy who was in epilepsy, probably full of demons, was a son. You know, you you look through these, these stories in these Bibles. It wasn't a woman caught in adultery. It was, daughter, go, sin no more. That's who Jesus is is seeing. He doesn't see you for your history. He sees you for your destiny. He sees you for the plans and the hope and the future that he has for you. So Boaz, he says, my daughter, I don't know why this is wrecking me right now, but it is. He says, listen to me. Don't go and glean into another field and don't go away here. Stay here with the women who work the fields. He says, if you get thirsty, drink from the pots that the men are, are pouring for you. And he says, don't worry, I've told the men not to take in the harvest. I've told them to leave it. I've told the men to protect you and look out for you. It says, verse 10, at this time she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes and you noticed me? A foreigner. She's seeing herself worthless. She's seeing herself just as a stranger or a foreigner. But yet at the beginning of this text, he's saying, daughter, 
He saw her value. So what happened was, he says, don't bring in the harvest to his men. Leave the seeds. Listen, you never know the seed that you're scattering and what it's actually going to go to. Did you know that Boaz and Ruth end up getting married? And Boaz and Ruth were the grandparents to King David. You never know what your seeds are going to lead to. And let me just remind you this, that Boaz and Ruth were also the great, great grandparents to Jesus. Listen, the seeds that we may just scatter, the seeds we may just, just put out there, may actually lead to Jesus coming to the earth again. They might just be seeds. We may never see their harvest. We may never see what may happen. But guess what? It might just lead to